hard work every day. Not an easy mom, got no time to play. Always on the go. You stuck on the flow, but it's time for the show. What up, what up, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of Not the Lazy Moms that you are not going to want to miss. What's up, Allie? <laughs> Honestly, um, I... I'm excited for this episode for a lot of reasons, um, mostly from like childhood stuff. So I'm excited to learn, to listen. Um, just looking forward to it. What's up, baby? I'm good. You look I'm real excited. awesome. I just noticed what you got on. Yeah, you look baby. cute. Thank I like you. the little hoodie with it. Look at him over here trying to stop. I know. It's like a fancy sweatshirt. I love it. <laughs> he took it very since very seriously when I asked him to act like he really wanted to be on this podcast. Like he's been dressing the part. Look how smiling. Go ahead, baby. This old rag, this old raggedy thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, listen, today we are talking about anger management. We are going to go deep today. Um, some of the things that we're going to discuss, we all have moments where we really get upset. We get emotional and downright angry, but how do we know when we've had enough? How do you know when you're at your breaking point? What can be done to prevent intense moments of anger? And how do you know the difference between an anger issue and an anger management problem? Because this is a very serious topic that was actually brought up when someone was sarcastically telling me, oh, you need to talk about anger management on your podcast. I said, you know what? That's a great idea. And who better to have as a special guest than my therapist? What's up, <laughs> Esther? <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> Esther Boykin is a psychotherapist who wants to live in a world where everyone believes that therapy is not a dirty word. As the CEO of Group Therapy Associates, a private practice in the D.C. metro area, Esther works every day to make mental health accessible, innovative and culturally relevant to all people. And she's my therapist and Chris and I's marriage counselor as well. <laughs> How's it going? Thank you so much for being on with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and, and for taking the time to actually talk about something that affects almost everybody, right? Like yes. this is an important topic. Yes. And I'm going to get right into it because I really want to know what is the difference and how do people recognize the difference between a moment of anger and an anger issue? So I think the easiest way, which is really true for kind of any mental health issue, the best way for you to figure out, is this an issue or a problem, or is this just kind of me having a human, ex normal human experience is how much is it affecting your life? Like if this is something that is um, creating issues within relationships, right? Damaging friendships, damaging, you know, family relationships, significant others, if it's affecting your work, if it's affecting um, just sort of how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis, if like there, if, any particular emotion is the predominant thing that you feel most of the time. That's something for us to look into, right? Like that's not actually how as human beings, we have an ebb and flow of lots of feelings. And so we want to be kind of noticing like is anger and more accurately is our response to anger, mm. something that is interfering or impacting our relationships or our work life in a negative way. Wow. That's, that's really deep. Is there like, is, what are like some of the, I guess, the precursors or warnings to realizing when you're getting to that moment where you're about to lose self-control? Because I, I feel like in my case, I can just speak for me. I feel like I have moments where they're built up, you know, even in my marriage, like if 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 Chris is doing something that is constantly bugging me and I'm not addressing it 
And it could be a year that goes by. It can be a lot of time that will pass. And then all of a sudden I explode. And he's looking at me like, what the heck is wrong with her? Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad that you shared that because I think that that's an important piece. I think sometimes because we sort of as a society view anger in a very, as like a negative emotion Mm. that a lot of us grow up and are sort of being told like to compartmentalize our anger or to stuff our anger and to not like actually articulate that. And we don't learn how to do that in healthy ways. And so it does build up. Anger is actually a really important emotion. It lets us know when we feel like our boundaries are violated. It lets us know when we have needs that are going unmet, um, when we feel like we're being treated unfairly. Those are things that we want to know about and be able to address. What happens is when we're not saying anything, as you said, right? Like it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. It goes from these small moments to becoming something that is so overwhelming that there's no more, there's no longer space. Like there should be space between what I feel and then what I do in reaction to that feeling. But when we aren't actually responding to our anger, it just builds up until a place where we, it just leaks out of us. So it either leaks out passive aggressively or it explodes in sort of a big um, experience. And both of those kind of reinforce the idea that we shouldn't be angry, but it's the exact opposite. What we need to do is work on expressing our anger in the moment. Right. I can definitely relate to that because the way I was raised, you know, my dad was a Vietnam veteran. Um, You know, at times he was abusive and, you know, he's remorseful for it now. He apologized. We moved on. But back in the day, we would literally have to just suck it up and you know have to live with whatever was going on and all of that anger would just build up i think that's why i struggle you know from time to time now with just dealing with my emotions dealing with anger stuff like that and i would lash out you know particularly at monique at times when we're kind of getting into it and it puts us in a bad place instead of just going ahead and expressing myself throughout the process you know of this this marriage you know and, and you know from time to time when i'm upset I would hold it in, hold it in, then I would have a big blow up. And then, you know, it could be a scary moment. That's why a lot of times I just jump in my car and go riding for 45 minutes and then come back because I don't want things to get out of hand. So especially in the African-American community, a lot of times you're taught to just bottle things up. You know, Mm -hmm. you're taught not to get treatment or get help or talk to somebody. A lot of times something bad has happened to you and it's a family secret and the child has to live with it and they protect the adult. And I think that's very dangerous. It is. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that that's, that is a big part of what happens. And I mean, to your point too, about what anger, some of the messages we get about anger, particularly in African-American communities is there's a lot of stereotypes and pushback around things. Like you don't want to be, you know, an angry black woman or the, the scary, angry black man. But what that does is it limits our ability to express our emotions. Oftentimes, as I said, anger is there to inform us about something that's happening. It often is sort of the surface also of other sets of emotions, feeling disappointed, feeling scared, feeling shamed or um, you know hurt or rejected. And those are really important things for us to learn how to express in healthy ways, particularly in our relationships if we want to feel connected. You know, I, I you know, similar to Chris, I, I grew up in a household that everything on the outside wanted to be portrayed as perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents weren't married, they were divorced, they were remarried, but everybody was happy. But on the inside of our home, I grew up in a very angry household, um, verbal, physical, um, and it's still very hard to talk about, honestly. Um, what I'm wondering is, you know, 
I am now a mom to two boys and I have gone through a lot of therapy to help me um, kind of cope and understand the anger that I grew up with and just the constant yelling. Um, how do I navigate sometimes, you know, with how we're grown, growing up in our childhood versus how we're a parent now? I'm scared to yell sometimes because I'm scared to I'm scared to get angry because I'm scared that it's immediately going to go from zero to how my mom was. Do you like even though I, I I recognize that that's not right? I still have that fear of it could go. You know that maybe yeah. I'm going to sound like that. Yeah. So I think honestly, the first thing is being able to identify that, right? Like being able to know it and name it goes a long way because what it helps you to do, and this is part of the process is identify how you feel and what your concerns are, right? You, you can yell and not ruin your children's lives. You can also make the decision that says, I don't want to be the kind of mom who yells, right? Like I know what that feels like, but also granting yourself a little bit of grace around, but that doesn't mean I don't get angry. And so, you know, Chris talked about going for a drive, figuring out like, what is it that you need to do so that you can feel your anger and not feel like it's out of control. And so, you know, we give kids time out all the time, but sometimes as, as parents, we have to take the time out. We have to say, you know, I'm really upset with you right now. And so I'm going to take, we're going to take a time out together. I'm going to go cool off. You're going to go to your room or whatever. And then we're going to come back because part of what helps is going to help your kids have a different experience is actually talking about anger, right? Like, I mean, that's part of what was the disconnect was you knew that there was a lot of anger, but what, was presented with something else. And so for your kids, you have this great opportunity to say, it's okay for us to feel all of our feelings. And then we can have control over what we do, how we react to what we're feeling. I get to be angry. And sometimes if I'm not careful, maybe I raise my voice, but also coming back to your kids and saying, you know, I don't want to yell when I'm angry, but I also, I still get to feel that. And we still get to talk about it. That's no, that's really deep because I, I think when it comes to especially childhood stuff, I'm very careful with my kids with how I let them know that I'm upset with their actions and try to have that talk and explain to them what is going on and how mommy felt and try to make, uh, I guess I try to point out certain things that they're doing or when they feel a certain way and say, well, mommy feels like that too. And um, I realized through therapy with you how important it is to understand and identify your triggers. And a lot of them for me personally stem from childhood. And I never realized that. I never connected those dots. I never realized why I parent my kids the way I do. I will never bully them. I will never like put my finger in their faces or, you know, or do anything to make them feel like I'm intimidating them because that was done to me when I was younger and when I was growing up. And I didn't realize how much that affected me until I had this blow up incident. And then I was able to talk to you and you were able to break down like, wow, what what did what does that remind you of from when you were a child or, you know, like who did that to you when you were little? Can you think back to those moments? And I think as far as my healing process, being able to really identify those triggers ensures for me that something like that can't happen again because now I know how to deal with a person who is reminding me of something that was a part of my childhood and walk away. Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing that, that almost all of us need to do. We all need to sort of sit with 
okay, well, why is it that I react this way to certain things? Or when was the first time I remember having this experience or that feeling? Because it also helps us to unpack, and I think getting back to a little bit of what you were talking about, Ali, and being afraid of certain feelings is we really, in adulthood, part of our goal and our growth is really about how can we get to a place where we're not afraid of any of our emotional experiences? Because we recognize that there, there are no negative emotions. There are some that are more challenging for us to manage than others, but all of them are important and we don't have to be afraid. And part of that becomes recognizing like, okay, there are certain things, certain experiences that will remind me of times where I felt helpless or where I was taught that I'm not allowed to have a certain emotion, but I'm an adult now and I get to do this differently. And, and some of that happens easier than others. Sometimes we got to spend some time, you know, in therapy and in different kinds of, you know, sort of healing work to get there. But that that's a process as adults, we all, and particularly as parents, we all benefit from being able to work through. Yes. I remember um, we had a session and I was expressing to you some things that people had done to me um, and you for like, this was like the first time where I ever had anyone just kind of like stop and say, wait, how did that make you feel <laughs> when that was done to you? And I was like, I had to think about it. Like, how did it make me feel? So many times I'll just kind of just keep going with the flow. And I realized that for people who don't really mean anything to me, I don't really, I can confront them all day long. I can go off and say whatever. But for those who actually mean something to me, those who are closest to me, I find it harder to confront or have those difficult conversations. And it's crazy because it's just a conversation just saying that, hey, it really kind of hurt me. But for the sake of my own feelings, I'm not bringing it up to that person. And it's like, for what? How do you, how, like, what are some ways that you can encourage people who are listening who may have that same experience? Um, how can you express that? Or how can you work through dealing with those emotions so that you're not the one carrying the burden? When they're the one that's being done wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, that's such a good question and such a common experience. So I, one of the things that I want everybody to sort of remember is, you know, vulnerability is essentially the path to intimacy. And I think this is something that we, we miss or we sort of overlook is we think sometimes that we are protecting other people or we're protecting the relationship by not having difficult conversations, right? But having those challenging conversations, being honest about how you feel, particularly when you've been hurt, is actually an invitation for that person to be closer to you. It's actually a way for you to deepen the connection between you, whether it's you and your husband, you and your children, a friend, a family member. That, and so when we shift our mindset, that helps to give us a little more courage to take that step, right? Acknowledging that it's scary to share my most vulnerable feelings. Mm. Um, if you come from a childhood where that kind of expression of, of anything other than, let's say, happiness or politeness was punished or dismissed, again, recognizing, okay, that's going to be even harder for me because I learned as a kid not to do this. And so I'm changing an old pattern. That's going to take practice. And one of the ways that you can do that really easily, and you know, I'm stealing this, borrowing this from Brene Brown, but I, I use it a lot in my work. And I, I think a lot of people, it can be helpful is if you're really afraid to say what you're feeling, Start the conversation by saying, the story I'm telling myself is, the story I'm telling myself is that if I tell you that what you said last night hurt my feelings, that I am, that you're going to leave me or break up with me or that you will get angry and storm out or whatever it is that you're feeling in that moment, what the fear is. So start with your fear. 
it gives the other person opportunity to reassure you, you don't have to worry, that they're willing to listen, and it also lowers everybody's defensiveness. It takes everybody down to a place where um, you can hear each other and be present with each other. Right. You know, I, I, I can definitely relate to that because, you know, for so long, you know, through my childhood and even, you know, when I became an adult, I would, you know, have my feelings hurt by somebody and I would, you know, be scared to confront them or say something. But I got a new philosophy now. It's a new day for me. You mm -hmm. know, if you don't care about my feelings. Why should I care about yours? And I don't mean that to be a harsh type of thing that I'm trying to hurt your feelings. But, you know, if you hurt my feelings then I'm going to confront you and we're going to get to the bottom of it and figure it out. So I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, first off, you're, you're, um, you're so calming. Like your voice. I'm like, yes, you are <laughs> like, this is what I need when I'm angry. I, I just need you on, you know, in my ear talking. Um, I wanted to ask you going off all that. I, I love approaching, um, incidences like that, you know, fights, arguments, like, you know, giving some place for vulnerability. Um, when it comes to time away to collect your thoughts, do you think there's such thing as too much time, too little time? Should you go to bed angry? Should you resolve it before bed? You know, what does that look like? So I think it's important to recognize the most important piece here is that you negotiate that with the other person. And the closer the relationship, the more important it is that you're negotiating that with the other person. So I can't think of a single couple that I've ever met where they both need the same amount of time to cool off. There are people where it's like the only way for me to get calm, they believe the only way to get calm is for me to resolve it right now in this moment, no exceptions. And other people who are like, I need like a week to be by myself and then maybe I can talk to you. That's important to figure out me. You know, one thing that can be put about anger and you know I gotta talk about this, you can have angry sex. And then, no, for real, you can have angry sex and then both, you know, both of the parties will feel better about it. You, if both of you agree that that's a thing that you can do, then yes, you can do that. And I, argue naked because it turns, but it comes back to that piece of you've got to be willing to negotiate even that part. Like it, a lot of this is about saying we can talk about everything. Right. And so I think, a week is probably too long, although the truth is everything sort of is objective to the particular incident. You might need a really long time. It might be, depending on what happened, it might be several conversations that are going to have to happen to repair whatever is has kind of become disconnected in a relationship. But what you really want to be able to do is say, I'm not disappearing from the relationship or from the having the conversation. And I think a lot of times that's what happens. That's the breakdown where people want to take a time out. It's like, okay, well, you just never want to talk about it. If you walk away or you go for a drive, then the other person thinks you're net, you don't care. You're dismissing it and you're never returning to that conversation rather than feeling like, okay, I'm going to take a couple of hours and we'll reconvene. And I might need a few more hours after that, but we'll come back and at least address it is a really important point. Yes, because for me, I... I think ther therapeutic like expression for me <laughs> when I'm angry, I just like a slam a door. Like I just want to take a door and just slam it as hard as I can. The sound and the motion, the physical like act of slamming a door is therapeutic for me. And he hates it. But mm -hmm. I also hate when he leaves. So I'm like, look, if you can leave, 
I can slam a darn door. <laughs> so we're going to have to compromise. No, but I know what we can do to fix that. But And the reason why I don't like slamming doors and stuff, that's stuff that I saw from my dad growing up. And she saw, you know, her mom would leave, you know, when it got into an argument. So those are things that's negative, you know, for the for us or whatever. But maybe I'll just get your little shed outside in the backyard. You can walk out there and slam it as much as you want. <laughs> and you can give me a little goat cart and I can just ride around in the backyard. <laughs> And that way it would be good. I know you're in the backyard. We good. <laughs> and that's, you know, I mean, we're laughing about it, but like that's really what we're talking about is how do we create those moments of compromise, of recognize because it is about honoring both sides. It's honoring that for Monique, that is therapeutic and soothing, that the sound and the sort of like the energy of of slamming a door or breaking something is part of what she needs. <laughs> and also for Monique to be able to honor that that's also a trigger for you of very painful traumatic childhood experiences, right? And so when we come together in a place of like, okay, we love and honor each other, how do we find a middle ground that works for both of us that doesn't escalate things or make this more painful than it needs to be for anybody? Yes, because I don't believe in like breaking stuff, like dishes and stuff, because then I'm like, who's gonna clean that up? I'm gonna have to clean that up. Go ahead, Ali. I'm sorry. Well, I just feel like, you know, talking about escalating things, now we're at, I don't know, an all-time high of everything being escalated. Fights are through the roof, divorce rates through the roof. I mean, what are how do we get ourselves, our marriages, our relationships out of this pandemic in a healthy way right now without so much anger? Because I know I'm angry about a lot of outside factors and it's hard to not let it seep into your marriage and relationships. Yeah. So some of that is acknowledging that, right? Is also making space for you guys to talk about, like being like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry about all kinds of things, things that are happening in society, about how the pandemic is affecting things. I'm angry about decisions the schools are making, you know, whatever it is, right? That Sometimes we have to also let our partner know, hey, I'm angry, but it's not about you, but I still need space to be able to talk about that. And can, are you in a place where you can listen to me vent about what my frustrations are? The other side of that is prioritizing self-care. And so that's not just, I mean, bubble baths and working out are wonderful, great self-care, but sometimes self-care is also just having quiet time to yourself. It's, it could be meditating, it could be reading, it can be, you know, getting out and spending time with, you know, girlfriends or going out with the guys or, you know, Zoom calls, but like recognizing what are the things that help you reconnect to yourself? We do need people to process our feelings with, but we also have to learn how to process them as individuals. And so some of what needs to happen, and I think some of the frustration a lot of families are feeling is being stuck with each other. And so you feel like, used to everybody being gone and like doing things. And, you know, the average family spends, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 hours apart. So when you're back in the house together, you're used to that should be family time. That should be time for us to be connected. But if everybody's home now, you have to carve out some hours where, you know, the kids go play by themselves. You do stuff by yourself. Your, you know, significant other does stuff by themselves. That gives you some space to take care of you so that Again, like anger and whatever other feelings are not the enemy. It's figuring out how do you create space to process that and be with it and let it pass. Our feelings yeah. always pass. Mm. I love that because for, for me, especially during quarantine, being able to have the video teletherapy with me and my husband talking to you every week, that 
it kind of like programs my mind when I am dealing with things throughout the week. I know that Tuesday at two o'clock, I'm going to be able to get this off my chest. And it actually allows me to be a little happier, even when I'm irritated about something, because I know I'm going to have an outlet. And mm -hmm. I think that's a, the issue for a lot of people is that most times we don't have an outlet and then we don't know how to create one. So between like the therapy sessions every week and then our weekly massages, like that is something that I absolutely need. And that has been my outlet where I can just meditate. I can fall asleep. I cannot think about anything that's going on. And I had to get to the point where I actually forced myself not to think about anything and just let myself just be. And it's been so it's just been like invigorating. Like I, I absolutely love it. I enjoy my time. My massage therapist laughs at me because she says that she can see the difference in me. And I told her, I said, given everything that's been going on this year, I'm the happiest I've been in my entire life. <laughs> like I feel completely unbothered. I feel completely full of peace and joy. My energy feels good. My house feels good. And maybe that's because of the quarantine with us not having a lot of people and a lot of traffic in our house. It's allowing me the ability to just enjoy my husband, my kids, and know that our home is just like the energy's positive and, and fresh. Yeah. And I think one of the things that a lot of families hopefully are finding, or a lot of people just in general, is, you know, oftentimes what we what we're used to doing right? Pre-pandemic, all of the work and the school and the projects and the going out and all, all of those things are wonderful. They also serve as distraction. And so while it's challenging sometimes, this is also a window that's really pushing us to say, okay, if these are relationships that I value, they're important to me, then what is what do I have to do to get through our conflict, our disconnect, our frustrations, right? Like you kind of are forced to decide if this is important, then I'm going to put time and energy into it and not be distracted by other things. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, you know, the quarantine and, you know, 2020 has just revealed so many different things, you know, to us, you know, some negative things, but we flipped it into a positive and you definitely helped with that. Um, just, you know, revealing people in our circle that's not for us, uh, things that Monique has been telling me for years that irritates her to where she built up a wall because it's like all of these years it's been, you know, the same old, same old, and I'm really not hearing her, hearing her or, you know, reacting to try to, you know, make it work or fix the situation. Now I wonder, all right, what the hell is going on? You know, things are not, you know, coming my way like I want them to. So, you know, now I've definitely heard her. This year has been great for us. And now I know how to deal with Monique better. She can deal with me better. I understand she's an energy person. Mm -hmm. um, I have to be high energy to, to match that. And, you know, things have been great. I'm, I'm so, this is one of the happiest times of my marriage ever. Yeah. yeah. And the crazy thing is, I, I realized with Chris, <laughs> if he stops getting sex, he's going to pay attention. <laughs> and you know, it, it, he so woke true. on up. He was like, hold on. Yeah. How do I, look, how do, how do we fix truth. this? What do I got to do? But I'm a because... man. Most men, are, most men are wired that way. Yeah. You know, um, all right, not to get too personal, but a few nights ago, man, I woke up the next day. I was the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> I mean, it was just some old good, ignorant, angry sex, and I loved every bit of it. <laughs> so the next day, I woke up, man, I was cooking breakfast. I'm doing everything. Right now. <laughs> so don't hold back. Give me more, and you'll get more. No. High energy, Chris. But, but you know what? One thing that he had to learn about me is when I'm overwhelmed, 
just with dealing with life, with work, with the kids, not feeling like I'm getting enough from him when it comes to like him act actively being helpful around the home. I can't be intimate. Like I'm just totally wore out. I'm tired. So we were both requiring things from each other and we weren't really willing to give each other what we needed. Right. So thanks to you, Esther, you actually allowed us to tear down that wall so that we can actually start having a conversation again and not just living day to day. And people, you know, for those who are listening that are in marriages or relationships, it is normal to go through seasons where you are just like all over each other. It's normal to go through seasons where you are bumping heads. And then there are seasons where you're busy and you're, you know, doing other things and you're, you're fine, but you're just busy. And it's just a cycle of marriage. And I'm just happy that we both have made the determination and have the mindset that we're in this for the long haul. And it's just a matter of pushing through to get through those seasons, but also seeking the help that you need, even if it's from an outside therapist like Esther, to really help you get over the hump. Because I hear so many of the same complaints among women in their marriages. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just amazing to me. And I sit back and I smile and I laugh and I say, you're going to get through it. I was literally the same exact position. And when I was there, I could not foresee the other side. It seemed like it would be easier to just give up and quit and say, you know what? Chalk up my losses. I'm out of here. But when you really just realize that, okay, this is a season we're going to get through this. It may not seem like we are, but we will because we're both determined. Um, you'll be amazed at how much happier you are when you get to the other side. And it's also just a bunch of simple misunderstandings and lack of communication. It's crazy. They tend to build up in the long run and yeah. then it's major. Yeah. yeah, it is. So I do want to say that you guys get all the credit. I mean, I say this to all my, like, I just sort of get to be, and I think this is true for every couple's therapist, like we're along to provide guidance and support and to help you slow things down and to notice and to kind of encourage you to have like have that courage to sort of say some of these things but you know it really is about as you both said right it's making some decisions that say okay i need some different things here let me get clear about what i need from my partner and then let me take that chance you know kind of going back to even talking about things like anger let me take the risk of making myself vulnerable and saying like, hey, I hear you needing this and I'm needing this. How can we kind of meet in the middle to make sure that we're both taking care of each other's needs and understanding that. And, you know, I think a lot of it as you both kind of were able to articulate is like, do you know for yourself what's missing or how you respond under certain circumstances when you're overwhelmed, when you're tired and what that looks like in your relationship so you can navigate it together, so. Right. Yes, I, I will say that, you know, I love that you say you don't, what is that saying that you say, um, you don't want to make therapy a dirty word? What is yeah, therapy is, I was just like, therapy is not a dirty word. It's a, like, we should all be talking about it. It's so helpful. And, and you're so right. My husband and I, um, we did couples therapy for years. And even though we have stopped, although we probably should keep going, especially in this, you know, craziness right now, I will say for those listening, like, you learn so much that you, it goes beyond those once a week or once every two week appointments. Like even now when my husband and I find each other, you know, bickering nonstop, picking apart those little things and almost not realizing that like we're both on the same team, we do sit down and we're like, okay, what's like, we need to restart this. Like what is going on? It gives you the tools and that you need to, to work 
outside of your sessions too. Um, I love I that. I love, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that that's something that a lot of people really struggle with and feeling like, okay, so if we go, does that mean we go forever? And like, and it really, so much of the benefit is really about what you then do with it outside of session, both while you're still seeing your therapist and even when you stop. Like a, a lot of times therapy is, it's episodic, right? It's like, yeah. seasons. You go for a while, you take a break, sometimes you go back, but what you learn through the process hopefully are things that you carry with you throughout your relationship, throughout your, and other relationships too. What do you do in those situations where, you know, I, I have people in my life who they've been going to therapy for years, um, 10 plus years, and and they're still the same angry per, and I almost wonder if they're filtering what they are saying to their therapist. Does that make sense? Like they're telling yeah. once, how do you, how do you differentiate if it's them or like, how do you, I, I don't understand that. You know, are they telling the whole story? Are they always playing victim? You know, it's, it could be, there are a lot of possibilities to that, to answer that question. So sometimes it is, and I always encourage people, you know, I get a lot of questions about like choosing a therapist or getting the most out of therapy. The more honest and transparent you are with your therapist, the more helpful therapy is going to be. Um, I definitely am a proponent of like, if you don't feel like you're noticing changes about yourself, other people in your life aren't noticing something is different, right? It, and it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but like there's something different about the way you handle things or show up in a relationship. That, those are some of the signs after a while that therapy is like effective, that you have the right fit. So sometimes it is that people are not just being forthcoming or are coloring the way they talk about stories. Other times, and I, I think this happens maybe more frequently is people are not doing what you just talked about, Allie, which is the, they're not taking what happens in session and then practicing that and applying it in real life. Right. You know, you're just not, if you don't take what you and your therapist talk about in session and try to make that a tangible behavior change in your real life, then, you know, that hour is really just supportive, but it isn't really therapeutic at that point. Mm -hmm. Therapy really is about building a toolkit. It is about having skills to live your life differently in some way. Right. At the end of the day, you pretty much just putting a Band-Aid on the situation and you're not really trying to heal. Um, it was important for me. And it was sometimes, you know, where I was frustrated, you know, doing the therapy sessions because you feel like you're getting beat down on stuff that you're not doing. And uh, But I was determined. I was like, you know, I don't want us to break up. You know, I want our kids to have a, a healthy home with two parents. So I had to look myself in the mirror and say, all right, I can do a better job here. And I can still do a better job in a lot of places. But I wanted it to work. You know, I'm not just going just to please her. I'm going to make this marriage work. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. So people that's going to therapy for so many years and they're not really progressing in a relationship, you got to look yourself in the mirror and challenge yourself to change and, you know, try to, you know, do some things to make your partner happy. Yeah. I think um, another thing, just going back to just in terms of just anger, um, there is a stigma that, when it comes to the type of abuse that comes that, you know, will end up translating into anger, um, that there is almost like a hierarchy as it pertains to what is worse, you know? So you have verbal abuse, you have physical abuse, you have emotional abuse. What are your thoughts on that? So that people can understand that, I guess it depends on the person, but I, I want you to, you know, elaborate more just- yeah. So I will, I, oddly enough, or maybe not oddly, but 
my the research that I worked on in graduate school was all about domestic violence and child abuse. So I know more than my fair share about abuse and, and sort of the longer term impact. And so one of the things that the research kind of lays out pretty clearly is that regardless of whether there was physical abuse or not, and, and typically if there's physical abuse or sexual abuse, there is also verbal and there's some level of emotional abuse in that as well, that really some of the most long lasting and sort of hardest parts of abuse to heal are in fact the emotional scars far more so than and so this idea that there would be that there's some sort of hierarchy that some you know one form of abuse is worse than another is really just not true the reality is that abuse any sort of abusive relationship particularly childhood abuse has significant impact on every aspect of your life going forward from that point and is deserving of like time and attention and space to heal. And so I think sort of, I think that's an important thing for people to understand. Oftentimes, if you experience things like neglect or emotional abuse, um, in particularly in childhood, it's easy to look back and say, but I had everything, right? Like I, they, my parents fed me and I lived in a, you know, a nice house and I had clothes on my back and, you know, they took us on vacation every couple of years or whatever. And so the absence of some of those things sometimes get minimized, but the reality is that those are important aspects of how we develop and feel whole in our adult lives. And so it's really important to not to minimize. And there is um, personal, I mean, as anybody who's grown up maybe with those experiences and has siblings knows, there's also variation from person to person. For some people, certain aspects of a traumatic or abusive relationship will affect them differently. Some people just sort of are wired to be a little bit more resilient. Um, and so maybe the impact on their sense of self is a little different, but there's no right or wrong or better or worse. It's really recognizing, and I think that's one of the places therapy's helpful is being able to own that we each have our own unique experiences with things. And so someone else could have what might be considered worse, like abuse, mm -hmm. Um, but maybe they had other kinds of protective factors, right? Like maybe they had an abusive father, but they also had three uncles who were incredibly supportive to them and a, and a very healthy, functional, you know, mother and had a coach later in life who supported them and then went on to have really, you know, supportive other relationships. So for them, that experience is very different than somebody who had, you know, just, you know, an emotionally abusive parent who didn't ever touch them or strike them, but who didn't have those kinds of supports, didn't have those protective factors. So I think it's important that we're not judging others or judging ourselves, um, but rather putting ourselves in places where we can get the whatever sort of unique and individualized support we need for our healing journey. Yes. Um, I wanted to know too, when it comes to children, um, are there different like warning signs to look out for that we can like see like, oh, my goodness, this this child is angry and it might need some attention paid to it. Um, so my, my two year old, <laughs> we mm -hmm. call him uh, the Sour Patch Kid, because okay. I mean, he can be so sweet, but mm -hmm. when he is sour, he is sour <laughs> and not saying that he has anger management issues or anything like that. It's just funny to me because children all go through that phase. Um, the terrible twos. And he is a terrible two. He's at that, <laughs> that mark right now. Um, but he's so lovable. He's so fun. I just want to make sure that as my kids are growing older, 
they are given the freedom to express themselves, but then trying to make sure that they do it in a healthy way, um, a nonviolent way. <laughs> you know, my, my two-year-old likes to, he likes to hit back if, 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 you, if you're making him upset, which, you know, a lot of kids do that. But what tips can you give to parents out there who may have children who they, they might laugh it off? And that laughing it off might turn into something that could be detrimental down the road. So it's like, how do we create that uh, balance to when our kids are being cute, angry, and it's like getting to the point where it's like, whoa, this might turn into something that we didn't expect. Yeah. So I think one of the most important things, because because when they're tiny, it, there's a lot of cute, angry. But for them, it's angry, angry, right? Like if your feelings are real the same way our feelings are real. And so I think it's helpful for us to remember in the same way that like if you're angry and the person you're talking to or expressing your anger to you laughs in your face or treats it as though it's cute rather than treating it as though it is valid, um, you know, we would feel some type of way about that, right? And like that doesn't feel good. And so part of it is we want to give kids as much emotional vocabulary as possible. I'm a huge, you know, my friends used to make fun of me because I was, you know, the therapist mom, but we used to have like a little um, poster on the fridge and it was all these faces with different feelings. And both my kids had their own little magnets with their name on it. And, you know, through sometimes more times a day than I really cared to have to deal with, but that's their feelings. They would move their magnet. And so we want to teach kids how to articulate their emotional experiences. And at the very least, in their face, we want to treat it as serious. Like my favorite story is I remember my best friend's cannot remember how old she was. She might have been four, and she was devastated because my best friend told her she couldn't be a mermaid, like actually in real life, like that that was not a thing that she would ever grow up. With. But like for her, it was it was as if you had, you know, I don't know, if somebody told you, Chris, that you could never play football. You're like, but this is this is my dream. And really spending, I mean, we laughed about it for hours after, privately. But in that like 10 minutes, it was like, I know it's really, this is really hard. It's really disappointing. But maybe you could be, you know, we could, you know, maybe you could be a marine biologist instead. And we talked about all these things. I mean, those were the funniest sad tears I'd ever seen. But in the moment, we want to sort of acknowledge children's emotions as being valid because that is really a big part of what helps them then move into, especially in adolescence, where they're going to have new feelings every 30 seconds and into adulthood, that they sort of have an ingrained sense of my feelings are valid. Simultaneous to that, we draw boundaries, right? You're allowed to be angry. I hear that you're angry and you're really upset with me. What you're not allowed to do is hit me because you're angry. So when we're angry, we go do other things. And when if you can practice that most of the time, that is what lays a foundation for your children as they move into adolescence and into adulthood of saying, my feelings are valid and deserve space to be heard. And my feelings are not allowed to dominate other people, whether that's through aggression or violence or manipulating relationships that my, the validity of my experience is also is supposed to be extended to other people. And so I think it's helpful to you to talk about your feelings. Yes. Oh, that's, that's deep. Really that's really no, that's excellent advice. I, um, so I have a daughter <laughs> who, when we correct her, uh -huh. 
when she does something wrong, she realizes and recognizes that she did something wrong, but she demands an apology from us for correcting her. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, Milani, I am not going to apologize to you for correcting you about something that you did wrong and you know it was wrong. And she gets so upset. And I don't know what to do with that. I'm gonna just be absolutely honest. I don't know how to confront that and how to like make her feel like I'm like I'm hearing her, but mm -hmm. also letting her know that that does not warrant an apology. I'm not gonna apologize to you for that. I mean, I, I got this one, Esther. You just stick to what you're doing. <laughs> no, but what 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 can I yeah. do? To, so you know, with with the whole, you know, she's very emotional and she'll start crying, and in her mind. She really feels that she's owed an apology because she didn't like my tone because I corrected her. Yes. Like, how do I <laughs> how do I deal with that? So some of it is gonna be, you know, that's who she, some of it is who she is. And I think it's also helpful to recognize that some children are also just more sensitive than others. I have one of those. Like the sort of there's plenty of books on highly sensitive children. And so recognizing that your what you feels normative to you may be more extreme in your children. Um, I mean, I think if you want to do something else, I mean, I sort of second Chris's answer, which is some of this is doing the same thing, but I think you can also ask her, what is it, well, what happens when I tell you, when I correct you? Because, you know, that's, that's, that's my job as your mom, right? For now, you're a little girl as your mom. My job is, that's how you learn what things are okay and what things aren't. It's my job to remind you. So what is it that you're feeling that you want an apology for? My guess is that she feels some level of guilt or embarrassment or shame. And that's what she wants you to apologize for. You, She feels bad. It's your fault. She wants an apology. And so that's a much more, I mean, good news, bad news is that that's a much more nuanced kind of emotionally evolved way of her to be sort of processing things. So good news is it'll be great as she gets older. You'll have a lot of deep conversation uh, in the immediate. It is, um, it is just one of those things that you're going to have to just kind of keep practicing with her about. Like, I recognize that maybe it doesn't feel good when you get corrected. Um, and I'm not here to embarrass you or shame you. And, but also this is what happens. And the consequences of you making that choice is that I'm going to have to tell you about it and that that might not always feel great. So what can we do next time? Right? Like also empowering her to be like, okay, so what do you want to do next time? So that maybe we avoid this. Yes. Yes. I, I love these. Um, I love these tips and and different things that you suggest for kids. Um, and I know, of course, therapy is you know the number one. I'm sure resource and tool to handle anger. What is something that adults can do outside of therapy? Is it you know, is there a certain book or square breathing or something in the moment that you recommend? That you know, I'm sure there are a lot of options, but one in particular that maybe stands out that somebody could benefit from? So I I do love square breathing or really any, I mean, so for people who don't know, square breathing. Breathe That's in what for, I do. <laughs> yeah. We breathe in for four, hold it for four, breathe out for four, rest, kind of like your normative, normal breathing for four, do it four times. So the fours are kind of there to help you with this. I always think of it as like a square. Sometimes you can find square breathing. It's the same thing. Um, honestly, Anything that uses your breath is a good technique. So if four square breathing doesn't work for you, you can Google things like breath work or breathing relaxation techniques because your breath is always with you. And 
you can find a breathing technique that does not look strange to do in literally any situation. So it's always kind of a tool you have. Um, in terms of books, I think it's how I, I think there's so many out there. I think it's it's hard for me to pick just one. Um, because it, it sort of depends on what's happening for your anger. I think anything that helps you to sort of be more exploratory about your feelings can be really helpful. So um, let me think, what would I like to, so one thing, if you're in particular, if you're thinking a lot about like childhood stuff, there's a book called Attached, which really talks more about attachment style. But I think that can give you kind of a, um, a good way to think a little bit about your own emotional experiences in childhood and how that shows up in relationships. Um, and then there is a book called The Relationship Cure um, by John Gottman, which is an old, old book, um, taking it back to when I was in, in grad school. But it's a great book on how to have sort of um, recognizing how we miss each other in communication and identifying the feelings underneath that. And then, of course, because I already stole one of her things. Anything by Brene Brown can be really helpful. Okay. okay. Awesome. This was great. I mean, this episode, we could go on and on and on. I feel like you gave us so many great tips. Um, anyone that's listening, if you weren't taking notes, hit the rewind button and go back through because there were so many tips. I mean, this whole episode was jam-packed um, full of tips. But in conclusion, when it comes to overall healing and being able to move forward, what would be your number one takeaway? Um, because healing is important and being able to look back on something and just like smile about it or laugh about it and feel like, you know what? I've totally, truly healed from that situation. I did not just throw it underneath a rug and, and move on. I'm not walking around angry. Um, I feel whole. So what would be your number one takeaway for a person who needs that healing and, and how to get there? So I think there are three major components to healing anything that I think are really important. So one is curiosity. Can you be curious about your experience, your experience now, whatever happened to you, how it affects you, how you feel, all of those things. Like be curious with yourself, be patient with yourself. Healing is a process and a journey. It is not quick and easy and um, it's important to be patient. And then it's important to have self-compassion. I think it can be really easy for us as we, somewhere in that healing process, we learn a little bit more and then it can be really easy to get self-critical or beat ourselves up for not doing better in the past. And so a lot of self-compassion for recognizing I did the best I knew how to do at that time and I'm learning how to do better now. Um, and then of course my other tip is always gonna be healing is not always easy and so don't be afraid of therapy. Yeah. The right therapist can be so helpful. Absolutely. And can you tell the people where they can find you? Absolutely. Um, let's see. So you can find my private practice if you're interested in therapy at grouptherapyassociates.com. Um, everything that is basically not therapy in the office. So we do a lot of events, workshops, retreats is at therapyisnotadirtyword.com. And if you want to find me on social media, it's always Esther B. MST everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was a great episode. I feel like a lot of people are going to be really touched by it. I appreciate you for taking the time out. And I'm going to see you on Tuesday. <laughs> and um, everyone else out there, thank y'all for listening. Make sure you visit notforlazymoms.com for more information about Esther and her practice. Visit our YouTube channel. We'll post everything along with her bio in the uh, description. 
And we will see y'all next week. Take care. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye, everyone. Thank you,